0: EM Board Bombs. <laughs> now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast, the podcast that's got everyone craving boards. Just kidding. But it is a fun podcast, and it makes board studying much more enjoyable. For each 10 to 15 minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems and stay for the content. If you're a return listener, then you already know you can find us on our website at emboardbombs.com. It's free to sign up. You get knowledge when new episodes are released, printed handouts, you get free review quizzes on the website. We have that awesome airway module, which is just claiming international fame right now. That's how awesome it is. Dr. Hussein will not be joining us today. So he is actually out purchasing an automated ice cube sculptor for his house. He said he's bored uh, by the usual mundane ice cubes, and he wants drink ice in shapes of his own likeness, he said. Glasses and beard and all, everything. Pretty intense stuff. You can look it up on YouTube. I did earlier today, so that's what he's doing right now. Let's dive into this question, though. Should be a great topic today. So we have a 27-year-old female. She's coming into the ED after one day of gradually worsening slurred speech. She didn't think much of it, actually, until on her Instagram, where she is an influencer, she says, one of her followers noticed it. She was simply, quote, just popping on to talk about a killer new smoothie that she created. Hashtag health nut, hashtag health journey, hashtag health odyssey, hashtag detox, hashtag say no to COVID-20, end quote. One of her subscribers noticed her right side of her mouth appeared to be drooping and actually commented on the live feed, quote, lulz, with a Z. Hashtag new style, hashtag trendy, end quote. (laughs) She considers herself an Instagram influencer. She already asked you if she would get a free ED visit today in exchange for promoting the hospital on her blog. So she shows you the before and after photos from yesterday and today, and on exam, she has normal vitals, a neurological exam that yields a right-sided facial droop when asked to smile, and she cannot fully close her right eye. So which of the following is true regarding this condition? Choice A, many patients will have a prolonged recovery. Choice B, acyclovir reduces complications. Choice C, hearing loss is a common complication. Choice D, it is the most common neurological complication of Lyme disease. The answer is choice D. It is the most common neurological complication of Lyme disease. Let's dive into Bell's Palsy. So I actually had a Bell's Palsy recently, so probably one of my residents is listening to this right now and tuning in. Hopefully, he said he listens to the podcast, but I'm going to put him on the spot now, (laughs) and everyone's going to ask him about it. So we had an interesting case the other day of Bell's Palsy, and This is something that boards love to talk about, and it's actually good for real life because when you're in the emergency room, you you have to know the difference between Bell's palsy and its most common scary mimicker, a stroke. Not so much mimicker, but similar presentation, right? So what is Bell's palsy? It is a unilateral facial nerve paralysis, and that, of course, is from a lower motor neuron involvement of cranial nerve 7, which is the facial nerve. No other cranial nerves are involved. There should be no other neurological symptoms. We don't really know what causes it, there's been plenty of theories, you don't have to know any of them, and none of them really matter, because the treatment's pretty much going to be the same all the time for Bell's palsy. There are some thoughts regarding inflammation and swelling of the facial nerve, this can make sense, uh, especially risk factors like diabetes or pregnancy, but really the most common cause here is likely reactivated herpes simplex virus. So the presentation of Bell's palsy is pretty classic. You're going to have complete weakness of the muscles on one half of the face and inability to raise eyebrows, wrinkle the forehead, or close the eyelid. You're going to have a right-sided facial droop of the lip. You can't smile on that side. You usually have trouble chewing. You usually have slurred speech only because you can't really move your lip that well on that side. And, of course, you can't puff out your cheeks if you're asked to. So all these are classic findings and just classic descriptions, giving them all to you because they could list many of those variety of symptoms in the question, all describing the same thing. You have right-sided or left-sided unilateral facial nerve paralysis. There should be no sensation changes. Remember that the facial nerve has no sensation of the actual face itself. The facial nerve is motor stuff. And so if you have facial changes of sensation, that's cranial nerve 5. Remember the trigeminal nerve, V1, V2, and V3, which map out different regions of the face of sensation. You can look up the dermatonal pattern later. But in general, cranial nerve 5 is not affected by this, right? Only one cranial nerve here, cranial nerve 7. There should be no pupillary changes. There should be no eye muscle changes. In short, again, no other cranial nerve. I'm just speaking in descriptive terms here so you don't get confused and forget this and you see it in person. Classically, it's acute onset. Usually it's overnight because the patient wakes up with it. It also happens gradually over 24 to 72 hours. There's no other neurological symptoms as we talked about, and it should always be unilateral. Let's say it's bilateral, which that would be an interesting facial nerve palsy, right? Bilateral. If it's bilateral facial nerve palsy, number one in your differential on a test question and in real life would be Lyme disease. Lyme disease is the most common cause of a bilateral facial nerve palsy. And this is where we get into actually the question stem here and the question answer. Choice D said, which was the correct answer, that the most common neurological complication of Lyme disease is facial paralysis, and it certainly is. So Lyme disease's most common neurological complication is facial paralysis. The most common manifestation of Lyme disease in the heart is going to be AV block. If you need a refresher on Lyme disease, Ian Borbaum's loves Lyme disease. <laughs> we talked about Lyme disease in like two separate podcasts pretty much. And then we also presented a case on Lyme disease at one of the regional SAEM conferences by yours truly. So we love Lyme disease. We actually love doxycycline more. <laughs> so doxycycline is a great drug. Check out that podcast. So what are other causes for Bell's palsy you need to be aware of? Well, Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, we did a podcast on that a while back when we talked about shingles. That's a, again, look at that podcast. Otitis media could be another manifestation, which you can easily rule out by doing an ear exam, which you do on all these patients that present with Bell's palsy. We already talked about Lyme disease, HIV, Guillain-Barre, Stroll. (laughs) If you listened to our prior podcast on Guillain-Barre, we we added the uh, ill-forgotten member of the Guillain-Barre, Dr. Stroll. Uh, Again, check out that podcast too. Good times, good times. Sarcoidosis is another cause, and then of course, probably the last two most concerning ones is a tumor and stroke. So the physical exam is enough to rule out otitis media, as we talked about. Ramsay Hunt syndrome, which would usually present with a vesicular rash in the ear or vesicles in the ear canal, or any shingles rash that's presenting with severe pain. Right? Remember, because this Bell's palsy itself is not painful, but if you have dermatonal pattern pain, that's more suggestive of shingles that's developing. Right? So what are the concerning red flags you should be aware of? Well. We've already mentioned a few of them, right? So like I said, if there is any other neurological finding, literally, if there is anything else besides cranial nerve 7, you need to immediately have prompt further evaluation with usually CT scan and blood work. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is going to be stroke. (laughs) We actually hired that elephant. It's quite expensive. We're going to use it for several episodes now because we're (laughs) going to get our money's worth. So the story about... The classic difference between stroke and Bell's palsy. Here it is. So we just said Bell's palsy is everything on one side of the face, right? Including the forehead and the eyebrow, right? So the story is that stroke does not involve the upper facial muscles. That's not 100% true. So very rarely, I know this is like getting into your nightmares, right? <laughs> Everybody sitting out there who just discharged their Bell's palsy is now listening like, wait, what? <laughs> they were nodding their head up until this moment like, okay, gotcha, gotcha, did that, did that, didn't get a head CT. Oh, shoot. What? <laughs> Don't worry, you probably did everything right. So rarely, ipsilateral pontine strokes, which sounds awful, or a pontine mass, pretty bad too, both of those can lead to lower motor neuron pattern That mimics a facial nerve palsy however in this case there is dysfunction of the ipsilateral abducens nerve resulting in a lateral case palsy sneaky right if you didn't catch that don't worry too much it's complex brainstem stroke you know whenever there's a lesion stroke or mass whatever in the brainstem or midbrain it gets really complex because that real estate is like really small right so multiple cranial nerves would be affected and so basically what you need to do is that you need to look for any eye movement issues Really, what this comes back to even more simply is do a full neuro exam on all your Bell's palsy patients. And if you're sitting out there listening like, of course, that sounds obvious, then you're probably fine. But if you're one of those people that takes shortcuts and says, as Bell's palsy, we're done, I just checked the face, you should probably go back and do a full neurological exam, including walking your patient, including eye movements, including air exam, including looking in their ears. This is all just going back to a good physical exam. It's time, right? So if you nail the diagnosis of Bell's palsy and you don't want to get a CT, good for you. But you better make sure you document in your history and you actually did look at their eyes, look at their eye muscles. So remember, if you're thinking that it's not a stroke, make sure you do a full, full, full neurological examination and you're checking for any obvious ipsilateral abducens nerve palsy, resulting in a lateral gaze palsy. Remember, abducens nerve, lateral gaze palsy. If you see that, it's not just a facial nerve palsy anymore. You're dealing with possibly a brainstem or pontine stroke. So again, key here very good history detailed neurological exam, look for any associated signs or symptoms. So what are the concerning neurological findings that should prompt further neurological evaluation? Well, obviously what we just said, any other neurological deficits, and of course, unaffected upper facial muscle right? So if the upper facial muscles are not involved, obviously you're going to call code stroke, actually. If this thing started within a certain amount of time, you're going to go ahead and work up their stroke-like symptoms. Other things that are concerning, right? So let's say there's a stepwise progression of facial nerve palsy or slow progression over several days or weeks. That's a little weird, right? Because Bell's palsy, we'll talk about in a minute, should go away pretty fast. There's no prolonged course of this in general, right? So if you see that, that's concerning more for a more insidious process, intracranial mass or tumor, something like that. Let's say they have a recurrent facial nerve palsy, also concerning for an insidious process. And then, of course, prolonged facial palsy greater than four months with no prior imaging. These are all no-brainer situations, but just to let you know, Bell's palsy shouldn't last that long, and that gets into management and prognosis. So there's a lot of debate right now on acyclovir and steroids. I know Probably most emergency physicians and people in training could say, oh yeah, it's antivirals for steroids, right? And then we accidentally mix in shingles with that. People get confused about the two of them together. So let's focus just on Bell's palsy. So this is where the management gets all confusing. And I encourage you again to listen to our podcast on shingles to clear up that whole angle too. So steroids are not given in shingles, but in Bell's palsy, we should only be giving steroids. (laughs) That's a super, super fine line here. So recent literature including like two meta-analyses from 2009 and multiple other sources that we've checked here at EM Bombs show that acyclovir is not warranted. Prednisone alone, about 60 milligrams a day for a week is reasonable and it's been associated with faster recovery. In fact, acyclovir with steroids has been associated with a prolonged recovery. So you shouldn't be giving acyclovir. Steroids only for these patients if it's just Bell's palsy. Also eye care is really important here which is commonly forgotten. So remember these patients often cannot fully close their unilateral eye due to the fact that the eyebrow and the eyelid are not as functional. So what you're going to want to do here is give them some type of ointment either azithromycin or erythromycin and artificial tears. This is really important and we also want to tell the patient to tape their eyes shut at night. They have a higher risk for corneal abrasion and other issues with their conjunctiva. So Really important that we are telling these patients to have good eye care until they are recovering. Speaking of recovery, prognosis, it's actually very good. So that's why choice A is wrong. 85% regain function within three weeks. And the reoccurrence is not uncommon, unfortunately. It can reoccur pretty often. But again, these people are not disabled for life with a facial nerve palsy. So let's go through the choices. Choice A, we just said, is wrong because patients often regain total function back. Choice B, acyclovir reduces complications. Not true. That's the case in shingles. Not the case here with Bell's palsy. Choice C, hearing loss is a common complication. Completely false, right? There is no other cranial nerve involvement. Hearing is controlled by cranial nerve eight. That has nothing to do with the facial nerve palsy if it's a true isolated Bell's palsy. And then we talked about choice D being the correct answer that the most common neurological complication of Lyme disease is facial nerve paralysis. All right, that's all we got on this one. Let's take us out right here. We have another bomb delivered. Remember, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at EMBoardBombs, as well as Instagram, too. Keep dropping us Apple reviews. We really appreciate the kind reviews we've gotten so far. I read them the other day. I needed to pick-me-up. <laughs> it was a long day at work. So I really appreciate uh, the kind words people are saying, and please continue to drop those. They really help boost our podcast and the ratings. When you type in Emergency Medicine on the podcast app, if you have an iPhone, you can see that uh, our rank increases each time you give us Apple reviews. So please keep dropping written Apple reviews. Keep downloading our podcast. Share it with your friends. Uh, We're going to be around for a long time. We love what we do. I certainly love what I do here, and uh, we're going to have to keep paying for that elephant we just hired. So join us next time, and thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Hopefully, IltaFot will be back.